Hello, everybody. I'm Jeff. Hello, online community. Um, yeah, I'm Jeff. I have to reintroduce myself. I've been gone. I was gone for two weeks on vacation, and the day I got back, I got COVID. Actually, not the day I got back. The day I was traveling back, I apparently had it and gave it to everyone on United Flight 949. Uh, from London, 10 and a half hours, I gave 300 people COVID. So that's apparently, I know you're plotting. It's my gift to the world. I didn't know I had COVID. I, I wouldn't have gone on the plane. But um, yeah, so easy, easy uh, week to, I'm, I'm on day 10 testing negative. I'm all good. So I'll kiss you later, okay? <laughs> um, Linda and I had the opportunity to be abroad and we were in London and um, we went to uh, Westminster Abbey for a worship gathering. This is what I do in, in, on vacation. I, go to th I went to church three times in my week in London. And... Um, Westminster Abbey, you know, it's like 900-year-old building. It's where the king and queen are coordinated. It's like, you know, did I say the word right? I don't know anything about the, the, the royals. Um, and it is this gorgeous building. And, you know, you get a ticket and you can go, like, you know, and pay to go on a tour of Westminster Abbey. But if you go online and you find out that it's a functioning church, like a Church of England, it's an Anglican church. And if you go online, you can go to a worship service. And then you go in the side door that only the Jesus people know, apparently, and they let you go to church. So we went to worship. Super fascinating because I didn't grow up in this environment. I didn't grow up Catholic or Anglican or Anglo-Catholic or Episcopal or anything. So no high church in my whole world. Like that's not my world. So when I go, that stuff is fresh and fascinating to me, right? There's no baggage. There's no difficulty. That's, I know some people grew up in it have a little bit of a difficult time, some. But anyway, I had none of that. And it was so fun to watch how the liturgy unfolded and they, you know, they, uh, the choir was singing in this, you know, unbelievable cathedral. And um, they, uh, they had the Old Testament reading and they did a psalm where the, you know, that was sung antiphonally with the choir. I mean, just beautiful, fascinating, right? All the smells and bells involved. But there was a moment, and here's a photo of it that caught me. Actually, it's not a photo of the exact moment, but this is a photo of the kind of thing that I'm talking about. There's a time in the service called the procession of the gospel. And those of you who grew up Catholic or Anglican may know, Episcopal may know this experience. But it caught me because I didn't even know it existed. Procession of the gospel is when we've, you know, we've done this other worship and we're leading toward the communion table, etc. But there has been, a, an old, like I said, an Old Testament reading and a Psalm reading but it's time now to read the gospel reading, which is the story of Jesus. And when it's time to read the gospel, they have a procession of the gospel where they go and get the book of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, off of the altar, because you know, all this stuff happens up in the altar in these churches, right? And the priest goes and gets the book, and you see him there at the end of the procession. Do you see him in the picture? And they get behind the incense, which represents the presence of God and the prayers of the people, and the two candlelights, which represent the light of the Christ, who is the light to the world. And they raise the gospel above their heads and they bring it down into the midst of the congregation. And they proclaim at that time, Lord Christ, this is the gospel. And the people reply, glory to you, Lord Jesus. Is that not an incredible, beautiful moment? And the word is in the midst of the people. And the symbolism is super clear, right? The symbolism is that this represents, I mean, Jesus is the living word and he is the incarnation of God himself who comes to dwell among his people. And the Bible 
is the written word where that revelation is revealed. And so the words of Jesus and the good news that Jesus came to earth is lifted up and celebrated in the middle of God's people. Isn't that cool? And I was just struck by the power of that because as I looked ahead at the calendar, I knew I was coming to talk to you when I got back about being people of the word because that's who we are, where the good news of Jesus dwells in the midst of us through the word of God. We've been talking about a little bit about being the, the, well, quite a bit about being the people of the word over the last couple of weeks, and I just kind of want to put my stamp on this and have some conversation about it and get super nuts and boltsy about it before we leave this part. This is toward a life in Christ that is intelligent, not smart, brilliant, smarter than everybody else. This is toward a life in Christ that's intelligent, meaning it's full of truth. And that's who we are. And so two weeks ago, Tana preached on the, how the word transforms us by reflecting on our identity in Christ, that we're beloved children of a perfect father. And then last week, Michael talked about the truth of the word and how it affects us and changes our lives. So I kind of want to put my stamp on that and talk about this idea of being people of the word and what that means to us. And like I said, get kind of in the nuts and bolts about what it means as we go forward before we move on to talking about toward life in Christ that is involved, which is the next part of our series. Um, you know, a totally different uh, uh, illustration. Um, I've been watching some surfing stuff on Netflix. I'm not a surfer, but I love the beach. And I, and I got kind of caught up in it. And this is a guy named Gabriel Medina. And as he goes out in the surfing competitions, he's a Brazilian dude. And oh, for my, for my Brazilian friends, a little Portuguese up front, hello? Yeah, all right, all right. Don't say I didn't ever do anything for you. <laughs> Gabriel Medina goes out to the waves and he bows and he prays. And I was watching this guy and listening to his story and listening to how it, uh, you know how those, these kinds of sports things, they all get into the background of people's stories and all that kind of stuff. And this guy fascinates me and his story is wild and it's so interesting. But as I'm watching him and then I'm watching him surf at one point, I paused it and he had this tattoo. Okay, if I had a dollar for every time I talk about tattoos, have you noticed? <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like I got a weird thing. And I think it's because there's this idea of putting inking on your body forever. Like it's about going this is what I am about. And I think they're so powerful. And I have no tattoos. Because <laughs> if I started, Lord have mercy. So Gabriel Medina goes out, he has this tattoo. And I'm like, is that a scripture verse? Because it looks like it says like Jeremiah 1.5 on it. And this is Jeremiah 1.5. And I'm sure all of your hearts are now encouraged by the scriptures, Right? No, let me translate it for you since you don't read Portuguese. It's Portuguese. And no, listen, knowing his story, he puts on his body these words. Be, I knew you before you were formed within your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart for me. Oh, is that not good? I love that. I love that the dude is like, and I don't know his story. I don't know if he's following Jesus. I mean, I know some of his story. I don't know if he's following Jesus. I don't know how much that means to him. But when you put on your body, mm, before I was born, the Lord knew me, set me apart for him. Like, I love that that's, that's a 
people of the word kind of thing to anchor in. Here's my, and then you go down the, the rabbit hole on the internet of cool Jesus tattoos. Here's my favorite, Steph Curry's on his bicep, less than and greater than. Do you know this? Have you seen this no. tattoo? You know what the, you know that, that's, that means, right? In algebra, greater than and less than? It stands for John 3.30, which says, he must increase and I must decrease. Come on. He's the greatest of all time. And he's like, every time he does a jump shot right here, it's like, he must increase and I must decrease. Why am I telling you that? Why do I give you these, these, all these illustrations from the, the, the progression of the procession of the word in Westminster Abbey to, uh, to this usurper's tattoo to, to uh, Steph Curry. And it's because th- these are great illustrations because the point is, if we're going to talk about being people of the word, listen now. We are going to be, this is what it means, being people of the word is that we are people who know and know about God. We know and we know about God and we rehearse his truths so that we can live them out at every turn. Okay, church, I'm not sure you heard me. Here we go. If we're going to be people of the word, we're going to be people. We're people of the word because we're people who know God and know about God. And then we rehearse his truths so that we can live them out at every turn. And this is what these guys are doing by tattooing it on their body. They're rehearsing the truth, the most core truths about what life is about, what God is about, what salvation is about. And we are people of the word who do that. That's why we're talking about moving toward a life in Christ that's intelligent. We're coming to the word. Again, we don't mean intelligent like we're smarter than everybody else. We mean that is steeped in the truth. We're people of the word because we're people of the truth. And without the word, we wouldn't know the truth. And so we would not be people who know God, know about God, and who can rehearse these truths and know how to live them out at every turn. We, w- we won't know. And so we will walk and live however we want to and how everybody else does. But we wouldn't be people of the word. No, so we are people of the word, which is people of truth. Now, a couple of things I want to um, uh, highlight about just sort of this basic concept about why it is that we would be people of the word. And then I'm going to get super practical about a few things, okay? First of all, I want to take you to a really famous text about the word. This is in 2 Timothy, Paul's second, Paul's second letter to Timothy, his protege. Timothy's pastoring a church in Ephesus, and he has a lot to say to Timothy about his life and ministry about the word of God as central to that, because we're people of the word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting verse 14. He tells him, now look, Timothy, as for you, I want you to continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. What you've learned to become convinced of and those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through, uh, it, through faith in Christ Jesus. The holy scriptures, what does it say, are able to make you what? Wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. The scriptures are where we learn about our salvation. It's what helps us understand about the salvation that we have. And so this is my first thing that I want, don't want you to miss. The scriptures teach this, you guys. We're people of the word because it leads us to the salvation that we and the whole world needs. 
We're people of the word because it leads us to the salvation. It leads us to understand salvation. Without understanding the salvation that the Bible speaks about, we would not be saved and the world could not be saved. It's where it's revealed for us. We're people of the word because it leads us to the salvation that we in the whole world need. Why is for salvation? I love that language. In other words, how else would we know? How else would we, would, would, would we know? And it keeps us embedded in that truth. You know, this word, it's all over. This is about God's salvation. In fact, let me sum up the Old Testament for you. Can I sum up the Old Testament for you? You're like, yes, please. Is somebody seriously going to sum up the Old Testament for me? Here it is. Ready? The Old Testament. You've been in the Old Testament. It's a lot in there, right? You're in the Old Testament. Here's the summary of the Old Testament. You ready? Oh, we need a savior. That is my summary <laughs> of the Old Testament. Yeah. Oh, we need a savior. Let me sum up the New Testament for you. Oh, Jesus is our savior. That's it. The scriptures, Paul says to Timothy, don't forget what you've learned and have become convinced of because it will anchor you in your life. It'll anchor you in your ministry because it makes you wise for what this salvation is all about. So we're people of the word because we, it anchors us, gives us, it leads us to the salvation that we need and that the whole world needs. Now the scriptures go on, the verse goes on to say this. The next verse says, and all scripture is inspired by God. It's given by God. It's God breathed. And it's useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the first Part of the text is telling us we're people of the word because it leads us to the salvation that we in the whole world need. And then the second part of that verse, go ahead and drop down, Andrea, to the, the, the couple of slides down. That we're people of the word because it thoroughly equips us to live for Jesus. Now look at those two points. The scriptures just basically teach, look at you've got to be in the word because it makes you wise for what this salvation is all about. And now it's going to equip you how to live it out. Without it, we wouldn't know about our salvation and we wouldn't know how to live for him. You with me on that? You see the simplicity of this? So that's where we're gonna be anchored. We're people of the word because we then are people of this salvation and we know how to live it out. That's the end of the whole thing. Now, listen, I got, you gotta know, this isn't academic, this isn't theological, this isn't like, this isn't kind of up there in the air. This comes to the, this reality, you guys, that your longing for life, listen to this logic, your longing for life is a longing for restoration with God. Do you know that? The whole world's longings are a longing for restoration with God. So your longing for life is a longing for restoration with God. And restoration with God comes from finding salvation in Jesus. And we learn about this Jesus in the book. So this isn't all academic about, oh, the Bible's important to us. No, the Bible spells out that our longing is for God. God is found through Christ. And we learn about all of that through this. So we have to be people of the word. My favorite part of Michael, Pastor Michael's sermon last week was when he said, he came right over here and he stood on the edge of the stage. He goes, is this one of those, you're probably thinking, is this one of those sermons where the pastors tell you you should be reading the Bible every day? And he said, the answer is Yes. Okay, I'm going to say it over here. Isn't this another sermon where the pastors are going to tell you 
that we need to be reading the Bible every day? And the answer is yes, because it's where salvation is found and understood, and the life that we live out is taught through this. You with me on all that? All right, so what do we do then, you guys? What do we do with this? Let's get, I want to get super nuts and boltsy with you because I want to coach you. And in my coaching, I'm going to quote and use as an outline for my, the way I want to talk about the, how this li- is lived out in our lives. I'm going to use my favorite coach right now. Here's my favorite coach right now. Hello, can we get a little primetime Deion Sanders love in the house? If you're like, I don't know who that is. I don't know what that's about. Well, this is his Jackson State uh, days. He's now a coach at CU at Boulder, Colorado. And um, he is a professional football player, played for the Falcons and the, um, the, and the uh, Cowboys. And who else? 49ers. That's right. And he played with the 49ers. And he was also a professional baseball player at the same time. And so he's just this incredible athlete, but he is this incredible man of God as well. And he comes to these players. He told these players, at Jack- this is in his Jackson State days, he went to this college and he told all the families, look, if you send your son to play football at Jackson State, he will become a better man, period. Like, this is what he's all about. It's so great. He's a great coach. It's so fun to watch. And there's a whole uh, primetime, uh, that is his nickname when, when he played football, primetime. And there's a, there's a miniseries on Amazon Prime, of course, called Coach Prime, and it's his four episodes, and it's about these days at Jackson State. You're like, okay, that's too much about Dion. I know, but I love him. And so... Uh, the, this, is, this, this is what struck me, and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to use this as an outline for my sermon because it relates to being people of some purpose and anchoring people in this purpose. He says to his, he walks in and he tells his players, he's having these incredible conversations with all the time that just shows all of his, his uh, coaching and his mentoring and, and his firing up his team. And he walks into the locker room after a game and he just walks up and he says to his players, he's like, three words. And they knew exactly what he was talking about. And he goes, first word. And everybody and all the men said, heart. And he goes, second word. And they all said, discipline. And he said, third word. And they all said, strategy. And he said, that's what I thought. And then he turned around and walked out. It was so great. Friends, we want to talk about heart, discipline, and strategy when it comes to being people of the word, because all three are in the Bible and required for us in this journey of becoming people of the word. So let's do that in our time left. First, heart. Let's talk about heart. Man, you cannot, we, we cannot become people of the word without our hearts being engaged. Best place to see this is in Psalm 119, which every verse in this Psalm, and there's like 150 of them, have something about God's word or commands or decrees or truths. And you just see, I just picked a short passage out. You just look, the first thing you notice when you read this passage is you just see that there's a heart engagement to love God's word. Because let me just give you a quick preview, spoiler alert. If this was a sermon where we said, get in the Bible, whether you want to or not, A, none of you are going to do that, and B, it's not going to be helpful. Because the heart behind it is, oh, I want to do this. I want to know about the salvation of the Lord. I want to live this life to its fullest. I want to go deep into this faith journey of moving toward Christ. But look at the heart in it. Verse 9, how can a young man stay, young person, stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not, do not let me stray from your commands I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. 
I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I will delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Oh, do you see it? Do you see the heart that's in this? This is not somebody who's like, I know the Bible's good for me. I should be reading it. This is somebody who's like, I want to know your ways. I want to know your character. I want to know what life is about. I want to know what this salvation is about, God. I'm not going to neglect this. Like, you have my heart. This is what I'm about. So you guys, as we begin to talk about being people of the word, we can't not stop and see the point and say, look at, I got to settle the issue. Do I want to know him like that? Do I want to know his ways like that? Do I want to know truth about what it looks like to live for him? Do I want to settle that he will be my king and I'll come under the authority of these scriptures? So when I hear from him, I want it. This is what I want. And so I'm going to come to the word having settled the issue and getting in touch that I want him and his ways more than anything. Deion Sanders, when he came to both Jackson State and then when he went to Colorado, half of the team ended up leaving in both cases. And the reason was because he got in and he said, well, men, this is how we're going to be a football team. And this is what we're going to pursue. Do you want that? Settle the issue right now. And there were a lot of those guys that heard what he knew that meant. And they were like, I'm out. In fact, there's this brutal scene. I think it might be episode four. Okay, I'm into it. <laughs> we're in a team meeting. He basically kicks a dude off the team because the dude didn't want it. And he's like, go, then go. This is what we're going to be about. Lord, have mercy. You're all right now like, is he going to pastor us like Coach Dion? Yeah, no, I don't know. But it may be that our takeaway in this is having to ask, am I a woman, am I a man who has settled the issue that I want to know God and I want to know his ways and I want to rehearse these truths and live them out at every turn? And so that will make me hungry for God. Now listen, I know everybody in the room on some levels like kind of, but maybe not all the way, I know that. And so we keep coming to him at the beginning of this conversation about like, all right, I want to be a person of the word, so what do I do? And I'm like, heart. And you're like, okay, I need more heart. God will honor that prayer. Well, I got to warn you, it may not be easy. Because he'll honor that prayer by bringing trials that will cause you to long for his ways long to depend on his character. Worship, reflection, all of those things bring us to a heart that wants to be a person of God's ways and God's heart. And that makes us a person of the word. So, you with me on that first one, heart? The reason I start there is because everything we do is about a desire, a longing to say, God, I want to be your woman, I want to be your man, I want to be all in, and I give myself to you. And so make me more hungry, make me more, like, that's how we start this. We don't just say, get more hours in the Bible, because that in an end, that in the end won't do what we're really longing for, which is to help us know God, know his ways, rehearse the truths so that we can live them out at every turn. You got it? You with me? All right, so that's first word. So first word, second word. Oh, that's not a fun word. 
But there's this point of, there's this concept of discipline that goes along with it, right? Verse, the, uh, Tim, he says to Timothy, Paul does in another chapter, but same letter of 2 Timothy, he goes, do your best. Timothy, now listen, do your best. Right there, we're already talking about like some excellence. To present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. Wow, he's saying, Timothy, you want to be my man in Ephesus? You want to be my leader spiritually? You want to be God's man? Then you do the work to make sure you're correctly handling the word of truth. Wow, it's a little sobering, isn't it? And so you guys, I bring that up because there is in fact some discipline involved. That's why we're going to need heart too because it takes discipline and perseverance to be come a woman of, of, of the word or a man of the word, because it's not easy. We know it's not easy. You know it's not easy. You get into the Bible. You've read the Bible. You've been in the Bible. You've read the Old Testament. It is difficult to understand. It is an ancient book written to different people in different circumstances with different genres involved, with different points uh, that the scriptures are trying to make. And it is not an easy thing to get. It can be confusing at times. And I tell you guys that because we want to keep freeing you. I don't want anybody to sit here and go, I'm just stupid. I don't get it. You guys, when we get into the word of God, it takes some work to understand what it is that we're reading and learning about it. And I just want to make you this promise. I'll make you a promise. You can gain an, an expertise in the word through practice and discipline and study. You can become an expert in God's word. You can understand these things. It's not a, the biggest book in the world. Like you can get in it and learn it and figure stuff out. And the questions that you have can get answered. And they can get answered by people who have had more experience than you. They can get answered by people that have asked that question already a month before you. You can, like if I wish, this is where I give away those study Bibles where you use resources where, you know, you get some help to understand. And the more you read and understand and see what's going on, the more you get it. And so then when the Old Testament talks about the Assyrians, we're all like, I actually know who the Assyrians are and why it matters. Like, isn't that incredible? Like, wouldn't it be incredible if you like read that stuff and you're like, I don't, I get it. I know what this is you can become, you can develop some expertise in God's word. Now, I don't have time to do some, any training in that right now, but I want to just give you very quickly, show all three of those things, Andrea. Just, this is the secret sauce in the art and science to Bible study. Here's what, it, here's what it is. There's basically three questions that happens. You go to the scriptures and you go, so what's this text saying to the original audience? In other words, what's the context? Who are these people? Who are the Assyrians? Who is, who's writing? Who's the recipient? Like, when is this in Israel's history? Like, what is happening there? Or in the New Testament, like, wh like, who's the writer? What's going on? You just ask the question, what does that text mean to those people at that, in that original audience? So you understand context. That's something you can learn. Second question, then we go, all right, so then what truths is it telling me about God and his ways and the world and salvation in Jesus? Like, what does it tell me about God? So what are the truths that even though there was written at a certain time, what are the truths that this is trying to teach about God and about salvation? So for example, if you're reading a, you know, a psalmist who's a, a guy who, maybe it's David, and he's um, um, being persecuted and being chased, and he's in the desert, and he's fearing for his life, and he's trying to be faithful to God, and he calls out, says, God, I'm struggling, and I'm worried, but you're faithful. You're like, okay, so this is what's happening at this certain time. 
Of course he's crying out like that. Of course he's angry and confused. Okay, that's the context. And then he's like, but you are faithful and you will not let your promises to your servant go unanswered. And you're like, there's a truth. That's easy. Write that in my journal. He is faithful. And even though my life's hard, he will not let his promises be go unanswered, right? That's a truth we can take home. And then the third question, well, then how might that apply in your life today as a follower of Jesus, as one who's living out this truth at every turn? Well, how might I apply that theological truth? And if you sit for three nanoseconds, you'll be like, oh, you mean that one thing that's keeping me up at night that I'm not sure that I'm going to make my sales numbers this week or that I'm really worried that my kid's falling behind in their classwork or what? Like there's that one thing that pops in your mind and you're like, even though life is hard, God is faithful and he will not let his promises go unanswered to his servants, right? You're like, you're like, all right, Lord, taking you at your word. You guys, that's Bible study. We just did Bible study. That is the art and science of getting in the scriptures, but the point is, is that that requires some discipline. And I just want to say, look, at when you get to these questions and you don't have answers to them, you're like, I still don't understand who the Assyrians are or what the context is. Or you go, I have no idea what the theological truth is because this is a wacky passage that makes me not love Jesus anymore. Or I don't know how to apply it to my life, actually. I found a couple truths, but I don't know, Lord. What do I do? Even if you don't have answers to those questions, it takes discipline to hang in and find those answers. My favorite page in my journal is the one where I list all the unanswered questions that I have. Because I find every day I come up with questions where I'm like, I don't even know. Okay, I don't know what this is. I got to get this answered. I got to go find a smart person and go ask this question. Like, I got to go read somewhere. I got to go get on the internet. I got to go, like, I got to figure this out. I would love it. I would love it if every one of you, every time you went to small group, every one of you, every time you met with a pastor, you showed up with your your question page. And you're like, you got five minutes? Because I have 18 questions from my last couple of weeks. But that takes discipline. So we got three words. First word. Second word, and third word, strategy. And there's going to be a strategy to this discipline. I just want to go back to Psalm 119. You know, it's the, the, I left the heart part in there of verse 10 too. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. But look at verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might be your person, that I might not sin against you that I might live life the way I was designed to live. Like I've hidden it there. I've taken the strategy to do what it takes to put the word in my life. Do you have a strategy, church? Do you have the heart? Do you have the discipline? And do you have the strategy to do that? This is somebody saying, I am going to do what it takes to become a person of the word. And here's my strategy. You might be asking, is this one of those sermons where the pastors get up front and say that we should spend time in God's word every day? And the answer is yes. In fact, here's some strategic investments, some spiritual practices of people of the word. Ready? Lightning round. Number one. Well, it's actually four or five. Personal reading, study, meditation, 
and memorization. People of the word have the discipline to put this strategy into place that they do have a daily time to read the word and to reflect on it and meditate on it. It is a thing where we go, I'm putting a diet of God's truth in my mind and my heart and I'm gonna do it every day, Lord willing, because it is what teaches me about life and salvation and how to live for God. I'm gonna become a person of the word, I'm gonna be in it and this is what I'm gonna do. Some of you are like, I do that, I have quiet times, and that's awesome, and some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. How would you find time, like, what do you do? Well, we'd love to help you figure that out. We'd love to get you on a Bible reading plan on the YouVersion Bible app, or walking with somebody helping you. But look at the, the, the words there, personal reading, which also includes study, because you're gonna be like, I don't know what this is, I need to get a study Bible, I need to send an email to a smart person, I need to get on the internet. Got to learn some stuff, but then there's also meditation, right, which is reflection. God, what is that word saying? What do you mean to me about that? What's that truth and how does it apply in my life? And then I always put memorization there. I always put memorization there. I always put memorization there because it's the single most important spiritual discipline in me becoming the man that I am. And that's not necessarily going to be your, the case for you, but it has been for me, and so I'm a big fan. Because if you have God's word hidden in your heart, then even when your Bible's not in front of you, God can poke you and encourage you and teach you with God's word if you've memorized it. And I've forgotten more now than I ever like, knew in the first place, but I still got all kinds of stuff bubbling up in there, so I still memorize. I still memorize scripture, and it is an incredible way to become a woman or man of the word. So... That's a strategic spiritual practice. In other words, me personally, I'm going to do the work to be in God's word. Secondly, we're going to wrestle with others. We're going to wrestle with the truth alongside other people. We're going to walk with other people. The founders of our covenant denomination used to ask one another in dialogue, in fellowship, in church, in Bible study, in small groups. They used to ask one another. This is like old Swedish farmers in like 1870s or whatever. They would ask one another, hey, where's it written? What you're talking about, about how to live for the Lord, where's it written? Let's open the scriptures and let's wrestle with it. Let's see what God's word has to say about it. Have you ever had the experience of reading a passage of scripture maybe your whole life? Being, eh. And then you get in Bible study and then you start dialoguing about it with people and then you're like, that's awesome. Anybody have that experience? That is because we were designed to be a people, collective, of the word, using one another's gifts, sensitivities, discernments to let God's word speak to us. And so, is this another one of those sermons where the pastor gets up in front and encourages everybody to be in a small group? Yes, because that's where it can happen and that's really, I hope we wanna help you do that. And then last, and band come out because we gotta worship and wrap up. A strategic spiritual practice, the people of the word is sitting under the teaching of shepherds of receiving the preaching of the word through the gathered body of Christ. And I know this feels a little funny, a little self-serving. I mean, you got great preaching out there on the internet. Hello. You, you can just go to Google best dang preacher, you know, in America right now, and you'll get billions of hours, as Michael was sharing with us last week, of incredible teaching. And sit under that because it's such a win on so many levels, Right? Like, think about it. They've done the work. They've answered a whole bunch of questions that if you were studying on your own, you'd have to go study. They've done the work, and so they're helping you study it. They're, they're um, uh, helping you understand what the truths are in there, and then they're giving you suggestions about how you might apply them to your life. It's a super win. And I would be remiss and dishonest if I was fearful of looking 
I don't know, self, whatever. I just have to say this is what I'm trying to say. That includes us, especially us. If this is the church that God has said, you make this church your home church, then you come and you receive the preaching of the word from whoever it is that's been gifted to teach and come bring it. Because I want to tell you something. This isn't just like, oh, we have 500 sermons and you've heard 161 of them and next week's 162, or this is just the truths that we're walking through. No, you guys, when we come to preach the word, we're strategic about the concepts and the, 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 the series. But when we come to preach the word, we're asking, Lord Jesus, what is your word from the scriptures for your people at Marin Covenant for this week. And so it is the word for you for this week. And there's some power in that. That's how God has gifted and shaped the body. So I'm preaching in the choir, literally, because you guys are here. But those are strategic spiritual practices of people of the word. So let me end with a quote, a great quote that kind of sums it up from one of my old spiritual heroes, Howard Hendricks. He said this, God wants to communicate to you in the 21st century. He wants to communicate to you. And he wrote his message in a book. And he asked you to come and study that book. And you study it for three compelling reasons. It's essential for growth. It's essential for maturity. It's essential for equipping you, training you, so that you might be an available, clean, sharp instrument in his hands to accomplish his purposes. And he ends his quote with this. So the real question confronting you now is how can you afford to not be in God's word? You guys, that is our encouragement and our heart for you. And we would long to help you in that. We want to get you connected to other people. We want to get you in Bible studies. We want to get you with folks that are studying God's word. We want to teach you about the scriptures. We want to coach you personally in your walk with God so that you would be people who have settled the heart and have put into place the discipline and are living out a strategy to become men and women of the word. And may God through that give us the life in Christ that he promises. It is so rich. Well, let's return to the heart, church. Let's stand together because let's worship with one closing song here as we wrap up our morning. And even in this song, it proclaims our heart longing to say, God, I want to know you and your ways and your truth. So let's worship together.